Cyber 24 is presented by our friends at Valcom. Valcom is a Utah-based IT solutions and services provider with a drive for getting IT right. From ironclad security to computing and beyond, Valcom's 35 plus years of experience means they have the experience and the expertise to help your business from the desktop to the data center. Please check them out at vlcm.com. That's vlcm.com. And welcome to the Cyber 24 podcast, the weekly pod dedicated to helping business and governmental leaders better understand the often intimidating topic of cybersecurity so you can make better decisions for your organization. My name is Marty Carpenter. I work at 24-9. I work in strategic communication, public affairs, and government relations. And this week, we're looking at some of the hottest stories making headlines in the world of cybersecurity. Our guest expert, Mike Hussey of the Utah Department of Technology Services. All right, Mike Hussey from the Utah Division of Technology Services. Mike, you ready to take on some of the big topics in cybersecurity this week? Yeah, let's do it, Marty. Fire away. All right, the Wall Street Journal reports that the U.S. government is increasing its efforts to randomly seize more funds taken in ransomware attacks. I love that idea, randomly seize, as if they've got <laughs> tons of options. Hey, we could seize anybody's funds that are taken in ransomware attacks, but we're just going to randomly pick a few to scare people off. Like, if you can do it, then do it. But the principal deputy chief of the Justice Department says that uh, the money laundering and asset recovery section is just going to focus on this more. But they didn't offer really any details as to whether the U.S. would focus on ransoms paid by certain firms or critical infrastructure or owners or sums that reach a specific dollar threshold. They're just sort of making this this threat to randomly seize more funds. So, Mike, I guess my question would be, can this make a difference or are government officials just sort of grasping at straws as they try to stem the tide of ransomware attacks? You know, that's a great question, Marty. I think they are trying to stem the tide right now. Uh, you know, as we talked about in the past, some past episodes about the just the volume of, of ransomware going on. If they can start to curb it and, and uh, you know, you don't know as a bad guy when you're going to be targeted by the FBI to come back and recover those funds or, or take those funds away. But also, the it takes a lot of work for them to get that money back. And so if you're a victim of a ransomware attack and you spend $500, the FBI is going to spend magnitudes more on trying to recover that $500. And so, and they're not compensated for their efforts. I mean, at least through the ransomware pool or anything like that. Mm -hmm. So, but in the case of Colonial Pipeline, uh, you know, they, there was what about a little over 5 million, I think that went into, uh, to the bad actors and they recovered 2.3. I, I actually, yeah. I, I was reading. I think a the ransom about... was in the high fours. It was like 4.6 to 4.8 somewhere in there, oh, but they right. got okay. 2.3 of it back. If I remember the numbers correctly. So what they, what I saw that some of the things that the, uh, the FBI had to do was, uh, bring in a lot of tools. They brought in a lot of tracking software. There's a lot of stuff open source online and they could track the transactions and they were almost guessing, is it this transaction or is it this transaction? And so I think the transaction that they got back that was worth, um, 2.2 million was there was a, a transaction of 63.7 bitcoins and they, they were watching that transaction. And then there was another one for another 5.9, 5.9 bitcoins that uh, that they think was the same person, and they let that one go because they couldn't tell for sure if that transaction was part of the Colonial Pipeline one or not. So a lot of investigative work, a lot of effort, and certainly if you see 63.7 Bitcoins out there that you're going to be able to recover, and you and the FBI is fairly certain that that's the, the, the 
bad actor that received it, then great. I would go after that one. Uh-huh. But the other thing it's going to do is this is a, this is a very prolific bad guy out there, dark side, you know, Russian based, uh, bad actor that knows some very good skills, tactics. And if they, they, I heard somewhere that they had about 90 million this year, uh, in ransomwares paid to them. And so if you can start hitting them in the pocketbook, maybe they consider other options and go somewhere else. If they know the FBI is going to spend this kind of effort. So maybe they won't go after these large ransoms anymore where it becomes very, uh, very much worth the FBI's time to go after that one incident instead of very small incidents across the board. So I don't know if this is going to change the bad actors uh, playbook or not, but I think it real it will send a message that yes, the FBI is just not going to let this go. Yeah, it still seems to me that the balance here is so shifted and tilted toward the bad actors, to the cyber criminals, right? Like they have to expend minimal effort. They have uh, a real scalable operation that then to thwart them in any way requires such massive amounts of investment in time and resources. And uh, and quite frankly, is on is not frequently that fruitful, uh, not that successful. I mean, we look, you mentioned the colonial pipeline attack and, you know, it's, let's say it was for the sake of our discussion that it was $5 million that was paid out somewhere in that neighborhood. And, you know, they recovered 2.3 million and, you know, everyone's kind of hanging their hat on that. That was actually, I remember at the time going, wow, that's a real surprise that they got any money back when it's traded in, you know, a cryptocurrency that they got, they were able to recover $2.3 million. But, you know, even just this year up through like September reports are showing that there were about $590 million lost in ransomware in the United States. So to, to go hang your hat on, Hey, we got back 2.3 million, (laughs) you know, it's not, it's not 2%. It's like one fifth of that at the most. And so, you know, yes, it's some success and it should be celebrated. I wonder if they, if it's just a fluke or did they sort of figure out something in getting that 2.3 million back that then they can replicate and really have a weapon. That's what I was going to say, too. I I think you just nailed it in that comment that they probably honed their playbook now to go after the bad actors and say, hey, we now have a a playbook to to watch the moving transactions in Bitcoin or Ethereum. And they say, hey, we can start to see how these transactions move. We're not exactly sure, sure, you know, who it is or what's behind it, but and whether or not they leave it in a place that can be seized by the FBI. So now the bad actors are going to hone their playbook and make sure that it's in a location that the FBI doesn't have access to. And so it's going to be the spy versus spy thing and, mm-hmm. and back and forth. And pretty soon, you know, the playbook will continue to evolve. But but right now, I think the FBI does have a, a different playbook than they had in the past. Yeah. Officials say ransomware groups uh, adapt quickly. They alter strategies for money laundering. They use overseas exchanges outside of the reach of U.S. officials and cryptocurrencies designed to uh, obscure transactions and better shield owners' anonymity. Like I said, they have all the advantages in this. So I don't mean to uh, sort of, you know, throw cold water on getting $2.3 million back. It's just not a large fraction of what, you know, is, is really out there, uh, you know, at this point. So, all right. Second yeah. topic. Last week, uh, we talked about the Department of Justice's plan to sort of uh, the way we put it was forego the carrots and go with the sticks while going after businesses that fail to report cybercrime. And with some reason, because businesses that don't report cybercrime uh, help perpetuate more cybercrime, right? Or they they cause 
bigger issues by just not wanting to take the blame for something that they uh, were lax with or that they did wrong. Uh, that course of action, though, is is meant to do something and, and put something in place and try to address an issue while Congress sorts out details on legislation. And there are a number of bills moving through the House and the Senate at uh, various slow paces as they do. Uh, the Wall Street Journal reports that there are several bills in play but that new regulations in place related to company uh, that, that are coming to put new regulations in place. So, all right. My question would be, why is this so challenging? <laughs> right? Like, yeah. I, I guess, and, and that's more, you know, laughable of a question, I guess, but you, you've got something that moves quickly and evolves quickly. As we just mentioned, cybercrime and cyber criminals can just sort of, Hey, that, you know, they're a B testing, they're a, a through Z testing. Hey, that one didn't work. This one's working. We're going to try this. And they're always, always uh, innovating. Meanwhile, we're trying to address it by the slowest legislative making process, you know, a, a, a purposely slow legislative making process. And I just can't help but think that by the time we get some laws on this, they're going to be outdated, you know, before the ink dries. Am I wrong? <laughs> I don't think you're wrong. Uh, but I think uh, maybe the underlying issue or the, the underlying attack is to really say, hey, businesses, we want you to be more aware and we want you to be more responsible to, to your customers. And I think really that's the driver. But you're right. By the time this legislation rolls off the presses, it's going to be very outdated, which is unfortunately the way some of the, the government operations kind of work, both feds and state, local locals, uh, it, it, it is unfortunate. But uh, these guys are so nimble and they can they can move on they'll they'll they're they're not dumb they're going to be watching the legislation themselves and they're going to say oh is there a play for us to just move somewhere else now that the the our targets are are having these new guidelines or regulations around what they have to do we'll just move on to something else and they are very nimble they have they have the ability to just go somewhere else easily. And I guess in, in this particular case, you know, it's not so much about let's write a law to catch the bad guys. What they're doing is illegal already. What they're saying is we want to write a law so that businesses understand we're not messing around with this. And if you get hacked, we need to know about it. I, I've always thought that's odd because, you know, what a business doesn't want to do, if you're looking at their incentive, they, they obviously don't want to get in a position where they have to pay some hefty government fine. Um, they probably, you know, if, if they have a problem, they're probably going to take steps to correct it so it doesn't happen again. And even the business can move more nimbly. But if you're trying to put a place, put in place a, a structure that says, when you have a problem, we need to know about it. So maybe you can just help our audience understand why is it so important from a government perspective to understand and to have, uh, you know, a clear picture of what's happening uh, to businesses and, and why would you need them to report it? Why is that beneficial? Yeah, and, and that's a great point. And the bad guys, uh, they know that businesses currently, if they exceed some thresholds, they have an obligation. Actually, it's the law that they have to notify that they've been compromised. And generally, you notify through the attorney general's office of the state where you have nexus. And so it's really kind of the or actually the, the state where you have nexus with the highest uh, the highest constraints around uh, mm -hmm. notification. So okay. in some cases, I know there was a few companies here in Utah that were breached and they had to notify through the attorney general's office in California because they have more stringent guidelines than Utah does. And so what I was saying about the bad actors, they know, hey, if I do this to this company, we know that they're going to, by law, notify. And so, and it's going to change our playbook. So there's, again, that does drive behavior on the other side of the fence too. Um, but 
sometimes, though, you might have a business that is compromised and it's not really exposing customer data. It, it maybe just is exposing um, some of the their some of the data that they have about uh, maybe R and D or something like that within their corporation. And so they're really not required to to uh, notify on that. But if these new laws that are kind of running the course right now change what the requirements are for notification. So if, right now, certainly if you have if you're a business owner and you have thousands of records of maybe credit card data, social security numbers, uh, you know, confidential information or, or PII around your customers and that data is exposed, you are required to notify on it. But if you're not required to notify on other things that don't re don't have PII. So I don't know if this legislation will change. Hey, if it's espionage or something like that, and now you're required to notify, do the bad actors change their playbook to respond now to the new regs that are enforced on businesses? And so I think, uh, you know, it is going to be, you know, the carrot and the stick approach that we talked about before. But I think right now there is a good balance. And I think businesses are forthright. I think they they try to keep the trust of their their um, their customers. So yeah, they'll they'll be transparent. And say, hey, look, we've we've messed up, but we've we've plugged these holes. Uh, you know, there's a very very good communication strategies about how to do these kinds of things so that you don't lose the trust of your customers. And I think those are the things that will be in play for the long term about how to keep your customers, uh, keep them trusting you. And let them know that you've responded as, because again, this, this landscape is changing all of the time. Uh, you know, there's there, the denial of service attacks used to be a thing. Uh, they kind of still are, but they're, they're kind of passe now. So the, the bad guys are morphing on their playbook too. So yeah. Uh, the Wall Street Journal also points out that uh, some Republicans in Congress are fighting to prevent regulations on small business. You know, this kind of breaks down on party lines. Republicans saying, hey, don't be uh -huh. onerous on small business. Democrats pushing for broader requirements uh, to make sure the feds have the data they want, or at least that's their justification on it uh, to this point. If you're looking for protection from uncontrolled access, Salto can deliver the perfect solution tailored to your exact requirements to provide you with all the security, convenience, and control you need. With Salto, you install access control in a wire-free environment, so there's no need to hardwire the building. Because Salto works on a virtual network, you can enroll or replace a lost key within seconds, making reprogramming and rekeying a problem of the past. See how Salto can make your access control and building security simpler and safer at vlcmtech.com slash salto. That's vlcmtech.com slash s-a-l-t-o. You've all seen the headlines. Every 39 seconds, there's a new attempted cyber attack in the U.S. As the threat landscape becomes more complex, the need for security operations is greater than ever before. It's time to put experts in your corner. For something as important as your organization's security, having a named engineer and analyst paired with you is critical. Arctic Wolf is a leader in security operations, utilizing a cloud-native security analytics platform to deliver security operations as a concierge service. Arctic Wolf's Security Operations Center as a service is always on guard with security experts monitoring your environment 24-7. Don't become the next headline. Learn more about Arctic Wolf's redefined cybersecurity approach at vlcmtech.com slash arctic-wolf. That's vlcmtech.com slash A-R-C-T-I-C dash W-O-L-F.
All right, Mike, topic number three, we turn to the world of IoT, the Internet of Things. And to me, every time we've talked about IoT on this podcast before, it, it, it goes into like, oh, my gosh, how bad can things be? In some cases, you know, if you start to think about what types of devices can get hacked and, and then to know that security on a lot of these devices is kind of lax in the first place, or even if it's good, you know, who thinks to update their uh, you know, their garage door opener or whatever the, the you know, that, that's somehow connected to their system. And, you know, we, we've had another incident of this pop up. Uh, and like I say, one of the most frightening elements in IoT is not just, you know, I, I kind of make the joke about the garage door, but really if you start to think about health devices and there are new reports that show medical device maker, uh, Medtronic Incorporated is now recalling 31,000 remote controllers for insulin pumps due to potential cybersecurity problems. So, Mike, losing data is one thing, but losing data that can cost you your life or, or having a compromised security system that could put someone's life in jeopardy, that's a whole other story. Yeah, that, that it's unfortunate, uh, you know, and, and it's unfortunate that there isn't that maybe the bad actors would even resort to that, you know, by uh, messing with somebody's insulin pump. But it really is unfortunate that um, that they would that even be considered. But again, the responsible thing from this company's perspective is, hey, let's recall these remotes. Let's fix the issue and get those mm-hmm. remotes back out there. Um, and and all of the time, I think IoT devices are going to be. A thing. I mean, everybody has a smart TV at home now. I mean, you just log in and and uh, with your TV, you put, hook it onto your network, and you're streaming Netflix on your TV, and boom, you're you're off to the races. But <clears throat> I've noticed more and more the TVs and these IoT devices are updating themselves. So as they detect vulnerabilities, they will say, "Hey, oh, I I need to." To patch that, and so, for instance, my TV will go out and update its update itself, patch the vulnerabilities that exist, and I think IoT devices are need, going to need to migrate to that to stay ahead of the bad guys. I, I remember there was a an eye kettle, uh, very popular in England, with where uh, you know you make your tea, and it was connected to your Wi-Fi network, so you could control your eye kettle from your your smartphone. And there was a vulnerability detected in the eye kettle where you could send some commands to it and it would cough up the wireless password that the wire that the, of the network that it was attached to. So now you've compromised the eye kettle, but you've also now got a foothold on the, the individual's network where the eye kettle was residing. And now you can traverse that network and see all of the other devices and see maybe there's another vulnerability. So not, not so much that you're worried about the eye kettle, but now you've got a foothold. So it's another vector to jump into. And so I think, again, if the eye kettle were smart enough back in the day to say, oh, we know this vulnerability exists and we can and the eye kettle can update itself. Great. And that's where I think IoT devices are going to go. Now, a lot of them aren't that smart. You know, you might have an air quality sensor or something that's just uploading air quality data. And I think that's the state uses them for us to for sensors and streams to check the stream flow. And uh, and it's just updating the it's uploading the data. Um, so we're really not too worried about, hey, somebody's going to get our stream data or our air quality data. Um, but other devices where you're talking about insulin pumps, things like that, 
they need to start uh, looking at, hey, is there a way to maybe hook that up to the network? It's going to update itself. Recalling 31,000 devices uh, is really going to affect a lot of people's lives, and it's going to be unfortunate, but I think it's it's something that the IoT manufacturers need to look at down the road. Yeah, they said the controllers made before 2018 could allow hackers to intercept and reprogram wireless communications between the, uh-huh. between it and the pump, between the remote and the pump. Uh, you know, so they would direct delivery of too much insulin to a patient or no insulin at all or too little. So that's, that's pretty yeah. scary stuff. But this, the general cycle yeah. on this stuff seems to be, uh, you know, when you, when you look at IOT, it's the same as it was with human beings and passwords, right? And of battle, we're still fighting. The technology came and we embraced the benefits of it without yeah. taking the necessary time to go, how do we make sure that this is secure? And, you know, we're still, yeah in many cases with just about everything we talk about on this podcast, trying to catch up and say, you know, everything from super basic stuff, like we need people to remember, don't write your password down on a sticky note and put it on the back of your monitor. Right. Don't, well, let me don't make your, yeah, don't make your <laughs> username password in your password username. Right. Like, you know, that's, that's simple all stuff. the simple stuff, but we're still fighting that battle. Meanwhile, we're starting to turn out more and more smart devices. I mean, you talk about something that makes hot water for tea is a smart device all of a sudden, you know, I think a lot of Americans would go, gee, I would never have even thought of that. And it's not so much that you can, you know, make it make water too hot or, you know, make it think that it's boiling water when it's only tepid. I mean, those are minor things. But like you say, when it can suddenly start giving out access to the rest of your network that, oh, okay, well, now it's got the password to your your password uh, holder, something like that. Then it becomes a real problem. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's, it's fun to watch uh, the, just the explosion of IoT devices right now. I think that's the future. Uh, we're going to see more and more of that. As a matter of fact, that's why I think, uh, you know, we have IPv4. We're running out of IP addresses on version 4. And so we're moving to IPv6, the version 6 of IP addresses, which I, I don't know how many billions. I can't remember the number, how many billions of uh, IP addresses are available with IPv6. But certainly the, the billions of devices that are, are going to come into the market because they're just, they're IoT devices, they need to be on the network, they need to consume network resources. Um, it's, this is the future, so we, we need to make sure we get it right. As we wrap up for this episode, I want to thank our sponsors at Valcom. At Valcom, you get much more than a dedicated IT retailer. They become an extension of your IT team. So whether you're a startup or an enterprise, Valcom has the technical sales and engineering expertise to make your business more effective and more productive. Check them out at VLCM.com. That's VLCM.com. Special thanks as well to our supporting partners, the Utah Division of Technology Services, the Kim C. Gardner Policy Institute, the Utah Attorney General's Office, the Utah Department of Public Safety, and our friends at Secuvon. You can follow us on Twitter at Cyber24 underscore, or you can follow us on Facebook as well. Hit us up in either place. Let us know what you think, or if you have a topic you'd like us to discuss on a future episode, you can also rate and review this podcast on Apple Podcasts. We love and appreciate those five-star ratings. Thanks, everyone. Have a great week, and stay safe online.